0: Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality in geekdom by celebrating the diverse and their accomplishments on the Podcasting Network Relay. I am your host, Aline Sims, and I am joined today by Helene Wecker. Helene, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I am so excited to talk with you. Um, (laughs) But first, Helene, will you tell people who you are?
1: Uh, Sure. I am a writer. Um, I'm known mostly for my novel, The Golem and the Genie, which came out in 2013, which is three years ago already, which is impossible. Um, And I'm currently at work on the sequel. Um, In my previous life, I spent uh, about seven years doing marketing, communications and PR. Um, I left that all behind decided to uh, put my eggs in the, the, the fiction writing basket. Uh, what else? I'm uh, from the Chicago suburbs originally. Um, I live in the San Francisco suburbs now. I managed to live in a number of actual big cities in between them. So I didn't go just from suburb, suburb, to, suburb. to suburb. Yes. <laughs> um, I have uh, two little kids, a girl who is four, a boy who is one and a half. I also have a cat who may join us at some point and voice opinions um, as they do as they do um yeah that's that's pretty much me so
0: i know you i know you um I know you too <laughs> so i i found out about you from the podcast the incomparable ah cool which is for those of you who who don't listen it is kind of a geeky pop culture podcast um i'm on there sometimes Um, Talking about, you know, books and talked about Jessica Jones and, you know, various, various geeky subjects. Um, And sometimes they do uh, episodes about books. I said that just a second ago. (laughs) But one of them, Jason Snell, who um, is frequently often usually the host of the incomparable shows um kept on the book episodes kept saying i really really love the golem and the genie by helene walker and i heard him say this like three or four times and i was like okay (laughs) like i want to be a voracious reader but i don't really have a lot of time to read so like i finally i was like okay jason really likes this i respect jason's opinion i'm gonna read this book and i devoured it i loved it so much Oh, I'm so, so glad. So, so much and it finished and I was like this is it. There's <laughs> got to be a sequel. <laughs> there has to be a sequel to this. And I looked and like couldn't find any plans of a sequel and then you know, like six months later, it was announced that you were, you were writing a sequel. And I think like I jumped, like I did, oh. I did the little bouncy thing. So, um, the Golem and the Genie is a book I, I highly recommend. I really, really love. Um, so thank you for writing it. And I'm so glad I get to know you now, you know, <laughs> oh yeah, well, after it. I
1: love hearing about this. Um, because well especially jason snell god bless that man um <laughs> he he is wonderful and he has talked up the book numerous times mm-hmm. um i actually got to go on the incomparable once and and i hope to do it again someday uh because i after he talked about my book so much i basically invited myself on the show <laughs> uh i, I figure That's the way I the do it exactly right. um, so i got to be on the, the the uh the episode where they all we are we all took down zardoz i don't know if you've seen zardoz it's uh um a horrible horrible 1970s uh, movie, uh sort of futuristic sci fi um movie uh starring Sean Connery um in in a uh terrible bikini. Mm-hmm. Um and it's <laughs> It's just one of the most mind boggling pieces of cinema ever put on film. Uh, so that was a fun episode. But um, sorry to go back to what I was saying before, <laughs> before I got distracted Zardoz. by Zardoz. Yeah. Um, As one does. Yes, one does. I One thing that's just been such a gift about this book is that it really seems to me like word of mouth has been one of the biggest, um, I don't know, propellants uh, of of its you know, success so far. Um, I hear I get a lot of emails about people giving it to family members as gifts or, uh, you know, I I see people on Twitter saying, oh, this is you got to read this. I just finished it. And it's it just every time I see it, it just makes me bounce up and down with joy because (laughs) it's the, you know. Hand selling is like the best way mm-hmm. to get someone to read a book. It's like it comes sort of you know pre-approved from someone whose opinion you trust, and it's like they don't they're not a reviewer who has to fill ad space or that or or you know like column inches, and they're they're not a, a bookseller that you know yeah they love the book but they also want to sell books. So right. it's like this person has I have no no skin in this game. I just want you to enjoy a book, and that's just just golden. So. Thank you, Jason. (laughs) Yes. Um, So for those who have, because
0: I haven't described the book at all, um, could you summarize The Golem and the Genie? Sure. Um,
1: it takes place at the turn of the 20th century in New York City, so 1899 to 1900. And it focuses on uh, the Jewish and Arab Arab American communities that were there at the time, um, seen through the eyes of, of two fantastical creatures, a Jewish golem and an Arab genie, a uh, genie from Syria, who both uh, arrive – unexpectedly in new york they uh, through <laughs> improbable means they both ar- arrive at about the same time and uh end up wandering the city and having to figure out how to fit in as human um and you know as pa- and pass as human um and they have have their own sort of uh crises and adventures un- until you know the 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 night, the, the 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 night that had to happen when they, you know, sort of unexpectedly meet each other and and and, you know, things go from there. Um, it's sort of a genre Frankenstein. It it gets shelved everywhere in bookstores, which I just love. Um, no one's quite sure where to put it, uh, so it's I, I it's like literary historical fantasy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so one thing, as I was reading it, and you know, as as a person who is not Jewish and not Arabic, and uh-huh. you know, I, I know nothing about New York City. Like I've always <laughs> I've been there, like twice. Um, so I was wondering what kind of research and consultation and maybe experience you drew on as you were um, writing the characters, because I felt, you know, and again my perspective is what it is but it felt really culturally sensitive to me um, so I was wondering how you approached that
1: very carefully uh, I so the, the background on that is that I am Jewish and my husband is Arab American okay and this book actually got its start as something completely different as a series of you um, very realist short stories that were taken from tales from my family's history and my husband's family history. We had, uh, we're both the children of immigrants and, uh, we had, you know, we grew up 45 minutes away from each other, although we didn't meet till we went to college. And just, you know, as I got to learn his family stories, and he learned mine, we were just always struck by the similarities between our families. And just, you know, the, the various themes of, of of immigration and language and culture and that feeling of slight alienation. And, you know, the, you know, it, it's, when you grow up as a children of immigrants from, a, you know, as part of an immigrant family, um, you end up feeling like you can have this burden of history and, and and memories of a place you've never even been to and how that just makes you feel a little weird, a little off from everyone else. So this was what I was drawing on to do these stories, except that it, this was while I was in grad school at, at, at Columbia University in New York. and the the problem I was running into was that the stories were really bad. I just, I couldn't, I had a really hard time uh, turning them into fiction. Um, mm-hmm. That It was either I was too close to them or I just knew the story too well. And it was like, I was telling you a family story mm-hmm. instead of like discovering something as, as it was going on. Um, so I ended up, I was talking with one of my friends about it who was in the program and she basically yelled at me and said, no, that's a little strong. She gave me some very strong advice, uh, which was that um, she knew how my heart was really in genre, was really in 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 uh, fantasy and sci-fi and and genre bending and and all of the stuff that I would talk about in class and 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 sort of cheer on from the sidelines. Yeah, but I was doing the MFA short story. I was doing the, you know, the sort of Raymond Carver-esque, lots of people thinking and having slight epiphanies and, mm-hmm. and, you know, very realist. And she's like, why aren't you doing the? Why aren't you doing fantasy? Why aren't you doing folklore? You need to figure out how to take the stuff that you've got, your your family history, use sort of the heart of that um, and turn it into something fantastical. And so that was you know we had this conversation and then i went home and sort of like sat in front of my computer sort of struck dumb that she had figured this out and i hadn't and then wrote the first 12 pages of what eventually became the novel um so just taking those elements and putting them in these folkloric characters so that i could blow them up and externalize them and make them into something that i could um you know, treat as other people and figure out these other people who I didn't know. They weren't my grandma. They weren't my father-in-law, you know. Um, And that really freed it up. And then I had to start the research process because almost without thinking about it, I had chosen a time and place for my book that I knew absolutely nothing about. Um, And well, oh, and I should say I originally thought this was a short story, and then it just kept getting longer and longer and longer. <laughs> I hear and that then a I lot. Realized, oh my god, yeah. And then I, I realized it was a book, and then I was like, well, now I'm in for it because I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I had to, you know, and even though I was, I've been living in New York for like a year, a little over a year at that point. I, when you're living up at Columbia and you're a grad student, there are weeks that you don't get south of 96th street and it's like, you might as well be living in in Cleveland or something because you're, you're just so grad school is, is so isolating that I I was like, I had to go out and discover the city I was living in for my research. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was lucky enough that I had the Columbia library at my disposal because I had just reams and reams and reams of, of, know, microfilm and, and these, these, you know, books down in like the sub sub basement stacks of, of city planning notes from, you know, 1896 that, that had the various, you know, counts of the populations and, and, you know, what, what was this street back then and, and all the old maps and that sort of thing. I think I spent, I spent the first, God, six months to a year of, of the book just, Photocopying because I knew that we were going to be leaving New York when my classes were done, and I was like, "I'm here now. I have to take advantage of this." So I like took this this you know box, this file cabinet worth of of paper with me um, to uh, to San Francisco when we moved. Um, but I ended up reading a lot of of sort of written histories, oral you know oral histories that get written down. Um, there was a lot of stuff from the Jewish American community at the time that had gotten, it was either originally published in English or had gotten translated into English, a lot less so with the Arab American community. In fact, what's really interesting is that there's been um, in the last 10 years or so, a lot more interest in, in the Syrian community that was in South Manhattan at the turn of the century. If I was writing that book now, it would be easier to do the research as it was, there were a few books um, that I read and, and I was able to sort of, um, there were a few gaps that I was able to fill in and feel like I was doing a a decently respectful job. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've, i am been happy to say that I haven't gotten any like horrible, you've got it, you got a completely wrong email, um, from, uh, any of my, um, Arab or or Muslim readers, which is uh, a real, I'm I'm sort of proud of that, um, that I was able to do a a decent job. I mean, and and I I should say also that I, it was a lot easier for me to mess around with the Jewish stuff, because it's like, ah, that's my history. I own that I can do whatever I want with it. But I don't I don't want to piss off my in-laws, you know, So, (laughs) you know, just, you know, wanting to be Respectful, but also wanting to feel like what I wanted the book to have this overall sense of this could have happened, this might have actually happened, and we just didn't know about it. Which meant fitting it into a New York that you know, geographically, culturally, um, everything was as realistic as I could get it. Um, which was a huge mind bender at times. It was, it was hard to to do that sometimes. But also, um, I train. one thing that happened uh, in in a very beneficial way was as often as the research would kill an idea that I had, it created ideas as well. So it, you know, I would have an idea and I'd research it and I was like, oh, well, that could never happen because either, you know, this place wasn't there at the time or culturally people just didn't do what I was wanted them to do with the time. Oh, but look at this other thing here. That's perfect. I could take that and incorporate it. And that way, the research really fed the book, uh, which unfortunately, I feel like I don't know how I could write a book without research at this point. I sort of trained myself into it. I was Um, going to say. Yeah. And I I keep thinking, well, maybe, you know, the next book after this one's going to be you know, three people talking in a room. You know, but <laughs> I I don't know if I would even know how to do it. Uh, something that internal, something that that didn't, um. You know, it would have to be like they're they're talking in a room at the bottom of the ocean. So I'd have to like go research oceans or something. <laughs> but a
0: glass bottom boat.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's, and yeah, the research it just kept coming and coming. The the first couple of years were the most intense um, because. I really was just learning from square one. Um, So many things just about how people lived at the time Um, and all the various cultural stuff and the um, and the folklore. Things like I wanted to know how to write a genie. And, you know, I wanted to be like, again, respectful about it and not, you know, do the sort of westernized Disney-fied version um, and so I, at the beginning, I was obsessed with like figuring out the right way to write a genie. And then what, what quickly turned up was that there was no right way to, to write a genie. Every genie that I encountered, you know, in, in the old, you know, tales was different in some way. Mm-hmm. So I decided, okay, well, I'm not, you know, this isn't, you know, historical anthropology or something. This is fiction. I, at some point, I get to respectfully make my own version. Mm-hmm. so that's what I did and um and it seemed to work out I really like um
0: I mean it's not a super long book I read it as an ebook so like I'm trying to picture how long I think it might be and I have no idea I, have, I haven't looked at it in a book sh- bookstore but
1: I actually have a copy right here look at you. and it is 486 pages with the uh acknowledgments in the is back. it really? Okay. Yep. So I was so th- I think that's a
0: testament to how much I enjoyed it because <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, oh it was a really short read. Like it went by <laughs> really fast, but it's 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 pretty pretty big. Um so scratch that. But always, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I what I really, really liked is so it falls short um, in, in the best possible way, like I've read so many books lately that felt like work. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm like, I've got to like, I have to get through this but I'm not enjoying it and in order to be a
1: better person <laughs> I have
0: to read this book. Well, no, for me it's more <laughs> like it's it's because I'm very stubborn and I'm like oh. this book is not going to defeat me, oh. which is probably not a very healthy attitude,
1: but well, it's <laughs> it really is a matter of personal preference. I gave up on that years ago. I was like, I can't. I can't I, read books that yeah. I don't like anymore because I used to be able to do that, but now it's it's like it's like being a chef and eating food that you think is crap. It's like this is going this is not only do I not like this, but it's going to alter my perceptions. My right. bar for myself is going to like start lowering if right. I don't if I don't watch it. Yeah,
0: I um I'm kind of I'm kind of giving that up because as I I, I keep sticking my fingers in pies. I keep, uh, like, yeah. So I'm like, I have the podcast, and then I'm um, I'm starting an app camp for girls, like coding <gasps> oh, camp wow. chapter, and I'm like, we're thinking about moving, and I also, oh yeah, I need money, so uh, <laughs> I'm working. <laughs> there is that, and then someone's like, hey, will you do this thing for me for like five hours a week? And I'm like, sure. So uh. I keep adding things to my plate, and I I love reading. Um, and I don't want reading to feel like work. I want it to feel like escapism because yeah. I just don't have time for it. And mm-hmm. I don't, I don't need more work right now. You know, I have lots of work to do. So yep. I'm kind of giving, you know, being I'm able to step back from that a little bit more. I did, um, I did a book episode of the incomparable on a couple of books. And like, I was like the second one, I skimmed the last half. Cause I just, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, so all of that, all of that to say is that I really loved how real the two main characters felt to me. They felt very oh, good th- to hear <laughs> three dimensional. They felt very like there, there were flaws, there were conflicts, there was beauty. And I just, I think you did just such, such an excellent job, um, of of writing them three dimensionally, they didn't feel flat to me. Um, which is a problem I've had in a lot of books lately. Um, hi, welcome to the Aline compliments, Helene podcast. (laughs) Like, like I really, it was just, it was just beautiful. It was, it was beautiful the way that you, you know, described things, you described the desert, you know, you tell about the genie's origin a little bit and, and I could see it. Um, and I just, it's, it's, it was so beautifully crafted and now I'm hearing you talk about it and I'm understanding better why, because it feels like you could see all of this very clearly as you were writing. Maybe not a first draft, but first drafts oh. are crap.
1: First drafts <laughs> are the worst. Um first drafts, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. But no, I could I could tell tales about the writing of this book that would turn anyone off from ever wanting to become a writer. Well,
0: I was um, gonna ask you, like you you spent a lot of time writing it. Like how long did it take and did it feel like it was going to take forever?
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. it really did. It's um from beginning the book to actually seeing it published was 7 years. Okay. Um and that is longer than average, not the longest I've ever heard of, certainly, but uh For And and for a first books, more um, usual than like for a second or third or whatever. But it was, and I want to, you know, you say it took me seven years to write this book and you picture someone chained to a desk for seven years, which of course is not what happens. You know, there were months that would go by that, you know, I I was not working that much on the book because I had to, like you, make money and, you know, pay the bills. Um, So it really went in stages. I got to work on it a lot while I was at grad school. And then I left grad school and became, you know, a a person in the world who needed to get money. So I took on this very odd series of um, temp and part-time jobs, and I was an English tutor for high schoolers, and I had this very weird temp job where I would they would fly me out to U.S. border towns for a week at a time and I would stand behind the booth um, where where you sort of when you come back into the United States where the, the the person is standing there taking your your passports and running them through the the little do we need to arrest this person machine um, <clears throat> and counting cars need. yes it, yeah. exactly and and uh, uh, looking at uh, uh, how long it was taking cars to go through the 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 whole process and and then they would you know fly me back again and it was great money, but it was completely bizarre and and sort of eye opening and 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 boring at the same time but uh so doing that and just fitting in the writing when I could and I was barely paying my bills, and my husband was keeping the roof over our heads, which was you know fantastic. Um, I was very lucky for that, Mm -hmm. Um, but it felt like this book is never going to finish. It just kept stretching out farther and farther, and it went through a couple of major rewrites. Um, The first that happened maybe two years, three years into the book, um, into the writing process, when I realized that the person who I thought was the villain was completely boring and awful as a villain and needed to be written out of the book completely, which he was. Uh, The person who I hadn't thought was the villain became the villain. And the one of the two main characters, the golem, went through a complete personality change. Um, And at that point, the book became much more workable and more of a shape developed for it. So at that point, I could Really, start to see where I was going, but that wasn't until I was about three years in. so obviously, I had no clue how to <laughs> write a book, how to write this book in particular for a very long time. I feel like I learned how to write a book during the writing of this book so and not to say that I know now because everyone tells me every every book is different and and certainly getting the second one off the ground has been um a a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, but, but yeah, I, I'm not quite as clueless as, as the first time.
0: I think that's, that's something I hear from authors a lot is that, you know, they're like, just write your first book and then put it in a drawer and, you know, maybe revisit it in like five years after you write another one, because your first book is going to be awful. Yep. And it kind of sounds like you had that experience, except you didn't put it in the drawer. You were, you were able to rework it.
1: Yeah, um, this is I feel like the book that came out is actually about my second or third book. Yeah,
0: but- <laughs> probably. It sounds like it, honestly. Yeah. Um, so uh, honestly, it's it's good to hear things like that, because I'm um like, I think oh, maybe someday I'll write a book, you know, when I'm less stressed and I don't write all day for work, you know, maybe, maybe I'll be able to, to dedicate some energy to that. And it's like, but what if it's awful? What if it's really, really bad? Well, it's okay because that's how you get better. You get better by being bad.
1: Assume that the first book will be bad. Assume that the first draft of anything is going to be bad. That's like what you have to, it's like making crepes. And the first crepe always gets sacrificed to the crepe gods because <laughs> the temperature is a little wrong or you, the the butter was brown too much. And the first crepe is a mess and you throw it away. But it's making that first crepe that lets you adjust and make the se- second crepe. That's an interesting For, analogy. Because, I hadn't heard that one. B- because I know that everyone out there makes crepes. Of course. <laughs> Can you tell I'm hungry? I want lunch.
0: I know. I was like, I, I woke up at 530 and ate like <gasps> oh, nine no. and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Do you
1: wake up at 5.30 all the time?
0: Um, okay, so this is a story I can tell. Um, okay. <laughs> I The company I work for is um, based out of um, the East Coast, oh, so wow. they're on Eastern time. And for a really, really long time, like I've just stuck with Arizona time and done whatever, um, but we went on the second company retreat that I've been on and it was all on the East coast. And so coming back, my husband and I were just like, why don't we try this getting up early thing? Even though we are both, both just absolute night owls. Mm -hmm. Um, let's try this getting up early thing. And so since we got back, um, about six weeks ago, we've been getting up around six o'clock every, every morning, um, wow. except for like a span of time when we were sick. And then I've had a several nights of insomnia where I've been Oof. like, no, I'm not, not getting up when the alarm goes off. Um, but yeah, so we're trying to getting up early thing so that one, I can start work at like, if the alarm goes off at six, I can start work about seven thirty,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Um, which means that I can be done by three thirty, and that's pretty nice. That's amazing. Um, so, and I'm finding that, if I do that, I start work early, get off early. Then I have more energy for things before I get tired, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't happen when I'm starting later. So, yeah, we're doing the getting up early thing. That's cool. It's, I don't love it, but I love I, I love the the results of it. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's like going to the gym. It's it's making yourself yes. do it. That's the hard part.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love having muscles. I yep. really hate. I really hate lifting weights. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's that's our thing. Right <laughs> you getting up early? So you were you were actually up at four thirty my time. I was. That's insane. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I did not get up till six this morning. That's when my daughter barged into uh, our room and climbed into bed. Children are good for so, that. I hear. Yes, I've... they are. They are pretty much an self enforcing alarm clock in that way. <laughs>
0: I remember doing that to my mom, like on Saturday mornings, like waking her up to tell her about a funny thing that happened in a cartoon. And she was oh, just God. like, no, don't, no,
1: what are you? don't, no, go. don't, do go do this. I don't know you. <laughs> Who right. are you? What let you in here?
0: And then it would turn into mommy. I know I'm not supposed to wake you up, but yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I remember, I remember. <laughs> um, so going back to, to writing a little bit, I just have a couple more questions just because, um, I am a writer and I'm, I'm fascinated by this different approach to writing, I guess, because I write user guides. Like mm-hmm. I write blog posts and release notes and it's not, you know, it's not really, um, it, it's not at all fictional. It's not at all doing a lot of research like, like you do. Um, so Still very needed in the world. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, So I guess what I guess I asked this of all of the authors I've had on so far, but what is your advice to people who want to start writing? Oh, gosh.
1: It's a really um, complex question that has a number of different answers depending on where that person is in their life, Mm. Um, because I I think that's only become clear to me recently um, as I've been in the writing business for a number of years now um, through a number of different points in my life where I was, you know, first like the 20 something person who hated their career path and, you know, had decided I'd made a total wrong turn, you know, on the way out of college. And now I need to go back and figure out what it is I really want to do. And then I went to grad school and then I got out of grad school and wrote and then had kids. And so I've seen all of those different, you know, going from having basically no responsibilities except for like, you know, a boyfriend who became my fiance and, you know, wanting to stick together with him and, you know, and, and having to make decisions as a couple to, okay, now here I am in the suburbs with with a husband, two kids and a mortgage and the, you know, the pressure is on. Um, so, and also just where we were economically back into, what was that, 2004 when I decided to go to grad school um, is very different. You know, the, the atmosphere is for, for, for you know, gosh, do I want to get into a ton of debt right now? Right. Is a lot different now than it was back then. Um, and especially I, I think about the millennials coming out of college right now um, who, you know, on the one hand, might be looking to grad school as, some, as a safe haven. And on the other hand, you know, oh, my goodness, what an amazing amount of debt that you, you can accrue and not have, you know, the expected career path with an expected paycheck coming out the other side. So I think the overall advice would be to really pay attention to, I don't want to say responsibilities because then it makes it sound like I'm advising you against it and I'm being everyone everyone's dad who says, no, don't write. You need to be a doctor or Mm -hmm. you need to, you know, whatever. Um, and, and that's really rich coming from me. Um, (laughs) but at the same time, be honest with yourself about the stresses that you can bear, um, and be honest with yourself about what motivates you, what your, um, tolerance for disappointment and rejection is, And that is something that you can build on the way. And whether you're happy in, you know, whether if you're happy in your career and you want to write on the side, that is great. If you are distressed in your career and you can't imagine anything other than writing making you happy, then you have my condolences and welcome to the club. (laughs) It's, it is, I mean, I, I, I joke that, I started writing because I was so terrible at everything else that I did. But there is a way in which that was true. I was a pretty good marketing and PR person, but I felt like little bits of my soul were flaking off every day and it made me into a really depressing and depressed person, Um, which is why, you know, it was eventually my therapist who said, you you should probably start looking (laughs) Looking at writing again. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you think so? Well, I might want to go to culinary school. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, so you know, when it's at that level, yeah, you need to make a change. Then if you have a partner, sit down and talk with your partner about what it is that you can uh if, if, you know, the, the, the burdens that you can take on together, if you're signal, single and you don't have a lot of debt or you're, you know, you don't have a mortgage or whatever, then you've got a little more latitude and you can, um, you know, probably take a little more time and figure out what, you know, okay, well, what is it that I want to write about? Maybe I can try putting a few short stories together and sending them out and see if anyone uh, wants to take them up. Um, I could even think about going to grad school. Maybe that's, you know, that's a definite road. Um, and it's a world that's becoming more and more popular to the point where I've seen a number of people espousing the, you have to go to grad school sort of to, to be a writer. You have to get your master's of fine arts in writing, which is absolute bunk. And don't believe anyone who says that. Um, and it's an incredibly privileged position to take, um, and, you know, it's there were people who went to the grad school that I went to who should not have been there because they were there hiding from other parts of their life or they were there because they sort of felt like they had to. But they had no respect for, um, so, well, the either the MFA process, quote unquote, or they just didn't like being students they didn't like a professor sort of being in charge and and telling them what to do and it's like why are you going into like hawk for the rest of your life so that you can you know get drunk every night not show up to class that's just sort of weird um so (laughs) not to say that that you know writers are are on the whole a well-adjusted lot to begin with (laughs) and I feel like I had a um a good uh, head start in that I had been out in the world. I had been, you know, in, in, in corporate and nonprofit life for seven years and had, uh, you know, learned to pay my bills, learned to, you know, learned how to adult. And is the worst, though. I mean, It is really. <laughs> the worst. It is the worst. It's 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 a good skill to have. But, you know, and and I knew that this was you know, I had the benefit of a career that I hated that I was running from. And I had I had uh, incentive to to do well as a writer. Um, I, I I took on a more risk than I am used to in doing this. Um, and and it, you know, did pay off eventually. But that's certainly not guaranteed. Um, and it was an amazing experience to uh go to grad school and to um sort of put down the career track that had been you know it, it was sort of stretched out in front of me that I could very easily have ridden for the rest of my you know working days um and I'm very very glad I did um so it's if you, I don't know it's it's hard to say Here is my my advice. Okay, Mm -hmm. honestly, my advice: write. You will figure out. You know, if you, if if you set aside a little time every day, or every couple of days, whatever your schedule allows, and just do it. Just the act of sitting down and writing, you will see pretty soon. Get past the oh, this is crap. Oh, this isn't (laughs) you know publishable. I used to think that writers were this breed who would just sort of sit down at the computers in the morning and just sort of go, ah, okay, what am I going to write today? Type, 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 type. And it would just sort of like flow through the ether to some publishing house in New York who would, you know, publish it up and send it to bookstores. And, and they would just sort of, you know, drink a scotch and go to bed and get up the next day and do it all over again. And the reality is so much more like banal and awful and, and full of, you know awful in in the way that that you know awful setbacks and then huge triumphs and it's this huge roller coaster every day mm-hmm. um that we are all crazy to ride but it's it, it, there's the, the feeling of fulfillment when if if at the end of it it was that was awful and now I am more fulfilled than I was you know a week ago that is a good sign um if there, there's like that ineffable feeling of having accomplished something of having put something out into the world that is, that is of you um, in a way that the other work and the other stuff in your life does not do. uh, That's how you know that this might be for you. Um, And at that point, you know, just see how much, see how far you can take it. See, um, you get a couple of readers, get a writing group. um, If you can, writing groups are huge. uh, Just not only for, um, feedback, but also for just commiseration and, and uh, you know, <laughs> drinking wine together, and complaining. Right? <laughs> yeah. And that I had, I was lucky enough that um, a number of my friends from Columbia came out to uh, California at the same time that I did. And we ended up like six of us out here. Uh, we We all now at this point have like spouses and kids and, and other responsibilities but for a while it was like close to once a month or once every six weeks we would get together and just sit and eat pizza and it, it was supposed to be a book group but we stopped reading the book pretty quick <laughs> and and just you know talk about what we'd accomplished it, it, it in in it was it was a support group it was free therapy with our friends mm-hmm. with with wine and crying <laughs> and we just bucked each other up and even just that, was just this huge lifeline of no we're not crazy no we are actually trying to you know what we are trying to do is a good thing it is worthwhile what we are doing um and a number of us have been published at this point and we we all agree that that having each other really helped, really helped, you know, get us past that, you know, oh gosh, what am I doing? I'm putting myself and my family into debt. I am just going to put this in a drawer and go get a real job. So yeah, it's, persistence is key. Persistence is the thing that builds talent. It's not like you have to have a sparkling talent first and then you just write. It's, I you know, it's it's not like being an astronaut, it's not like you get picked by the hand of God to do this. You, you, you'd make it happen. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's awesome advice. I would also add to that because I think it fits really well into your, um, you know, like reading groups and test readers is learn how to take feedback. Oh yeah. Um, because I know, um, just in the type of writing that I do, people have a really, and I used to be this way. And I still am sometimes, but it's like people have a really, really hard time taking feedback when it comes to their writing, because it's like you, you sit, you do the blood, sweat and tears thing. You do the crying over the manuscript or the the blog post or, you know, whatever it's, it's a baptism of tears. And then you (laughs) hand that to somebody and you're like, they're going to be like, yeah, this is great. And they come back and they have feedback and it's like WTF. Like, I don't, what, what are you? So it took me. And I think some of this came with age and some of this came with some very patient people in my life, (laughs) but it wasn't until, you know, just in the last, I don't know, like two years that I've been able to take feedback and look at, like, get something from someone. They'll be like, I think, you know, this is a little confusing or, you know, whatever that happens to be and Uh be like, oh yeah, you're right. Cause I used to be like, no, like,
1: don't you see how hard I worked on this? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's something that I had to learn how to do the workshop process. If you can take, oh, this is something I should have said. Um, Lots of local colleges will have sort of adult education, you know, extended education Mm -hmm. uh, classes in creative writing. There's a lot of online workshops, too. And um, that can be a great place to get together with other people who are at whatever writing level you are at in an environment where you are expected to turn in 12 pages every week. um, And that can, you know, put a fire under you. Um, But yeah, that is a great place to learn how to take criticism and also to figure out how not, not just to take criticism in the, like, don't, you know, they, they think I'm a bad writer. I'm done. Why did I ever think about doing this in the first place thing? But how to pick out which critics to listen to? Yes, is also a huge thing. Yep. Um, which, which of the people who you know of, of the dozen or so people who gave you comments? Okay, who here understands what it is that I am trying to do, and isn't trying to turn this story into the story they would write? Because that that's sort of endemic to this process is, is people who you know have a hard time reading work. Commenting on work on the work's own terms, Mm -hmm. Um, and that was something that I had to learn. Was especially when you're when you're faced with like in in a workshop, you get back all these these um, competing and completely different criticisms for what you're supposed to do, and it's like, okay, what do I do with this stuff? And the answer is just figure out who has you know the best version of your story in mind, Um, and and you know, and take that or leave it. So yeah, that, that was, was pretty big. Um, I have someone other than your spouse, read it. If you have a spouse (laughs) or a parent, um, it can be hard to find a trusted reader. I've actually, um, my, my, strangely enough, my husband is my first reader at this point. um, And we've gotten to the point where he knows how to deliver criticism and I know how to take it, Mm -hmm. that seems to be relatively rare among couples who aren't like both writers and, you know, probably maybe even more so among couples who are both writers. Um, But yeah, I've I've cried over the dishes a couple of times because he told me something about my book. Uh And there are times when... What I've needed and I've I've learned to say this is I give him a chapter and say, read this and tell me how much you love it, because <laughs> what at that point I need is not criticism. Right. I need someone to say, this is really good. You're a good writer. Here's a cookie. Go back to the computer and keep working. You know, it, it's it's what you need at that point, And there is no shame in that.
0: Yep. I think that that's uh, as an editor, that's something that I've tried to learn how to do. I'm better Mm -hmm. than I used to be is just like, so what kind of feedback are you looking for here? Yeah. You know, and if you say, I want you to tell me that it is the most beautiful thing you have ever seen, (laughs) I will be like, it is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. Let's talk about it when you have more written. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, yeah. But that's it, it. It's such a hard thing. And it's so hard, you know, and it, it all comes to communication, right? And learning different people's communication styles and what they need. And like, I've just learned to default to asking people what they need.
1: <laughs> it's a really good way to do it. A really good way to do it. The first time I the first uh, class at Columbia, the uh, the first workshop class that I took, you know, the the way it works is you Hand out, you know, everyone's assigned to different weeks to turn in stuff. And when you turn in your stuff, you you, you make this huge photocopy of, you know, your 15 pages or whatever, and, and you, you hand out copies to everyone and they take it home and they, uh, you know, read it and uh, mark it up and then um, also do like a sheet of comments separately of, you know, here are my overall comments as opposed to, you know, either line edits or this part here was made me confused, or I think the conversation, you know, this line in the conversation needs to be excised. You've already sort of, you know, gone over that or whatever. Um, and I was coming straight from this, um, marketing and communications background where I was the last step before the printer. I was, I was, I was the gatekeeper on the way out the door. So I got this story. The first story I read over took me four hours to do these edits. And because I was trying to turn it into a finished story. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at these three others that were sitting next to, you know, next in line. And I was like, this This isn't what, this isn't what they mean. They don't mean for me to do this because this does not scale. Um, So learning to do that sort of feedback and, you know, address what you think are the most crucial aspects and the overall problems and not, you know, so much move this comma, you know, um, is a pretty crucial skill too, especially since then you learn to turn that lens back on your own stuff. I learned more from reading other people's work than I did from writing my own, I think. Um, because you see flaws that crop up you know the missteps and then you're like oh wait i did that over here didn't i mm-hmm. in this story um and for whatever stupid reason it is so much easier to see it in other people's stuff than your own um so that's the human condition isn't it <laughs> oh god yeah doesn't that suck um so yeah it's it, it's one of the best ways to become a writer. That's why they say, you know, what's the first step in becoming a writer is read. Um, just learn to read like a writer. Learn to okay, wow, this was an awesome sentence. How did they write this sentence? Why did this sentence affect me the way it did? What was the setup in the paragraph before that led to this sentence being so fantastic? You know, if you start to look at at stories as systems, um, and you know, see where they ebb and flow and where they put their energy and how that can pay off um that you know you do start to feel like you're dissecting an animal and that it's going to die on you um but it makes and and then you do lose that capacity for reading mediocre stuff because it's just too annoying but um or at least mediocre in the ways that you can't stand. I can stand a lot of mediocre <laughs> writing, but not along not along particular axes that, right. that just sort of irritate me. Um, but then, you know, but then when you do read a story that is just so well done, even though you can see the trick being performed, it's all that much better because you know how hard it is and you know the work that went into it and you see that skill.
0: Yeah. I love nothing more <laughs> than first sentence like just to stop and read a sentence and be like, that was beautiful. Yeah. That was just perfect. I want to write a sentence like that someday. Yep. Yep. Well, we are close to an hour. Okay. It has been really quick. Um, Wow. Oh my gosh. So. How did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) But was there anything else you wanted to talk about today? Cause I mean, I, I could talk to you for a very long time, but. Um,
1: gosh there are so many other things that we could talk about but it's everything else that I can think about would be like another hour of conversation (laughs) someday someday we'll have to talk about um oh gosh being a writer when you have kids and and... I was gonna ask how um
0: how things have changed because you didn't have children when you wrote your first book right and now you're working on book two and you have two so it's not even like you had a gradual ramp up you just (laughs)
1: you went from the pot to the fire yes um my 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 first uh my daughter arrived my first kid um as i was finishing up the first book actually the my my due date my my two due dates I was were gonna almost say which one. <laughs> were almost the same day and she ended up coming uh 2 weeks early and threw off my schedule oh, completely no. Uh, but, uh, welcome to parenthood. I think that that's just how it is, right? Oh my goodness. Yes. (laughs) So, uh, so that was an adventure. And then, um, my, I got pregnant with my second while I was on tour for the book. Um, so that was, um, pretty, uh, gosh, just sort of like You think you think you're you're just like this traveling writer. Well, nope, nope. Now you're pregnant. And so, you know, again, and having to um, learn how to be a parent all over again with with two instead of one. The biggest um, I'll say one thing and I know we're like running over time here, but the the most the biggest change, I think, had to be learning how to just sit down and write no matter what. Um, because I could before sort of, you know, goof around on the web for, you know, an hour and say, well, you know, I need to just sort of slide into it and I have to have my coffee first Uh and I have to do this and that. And no, you write when you can write. And that's the way it is. Um, also the very weird mental shifts that happen because, Um, parenting, especially parenting, young kids, little kids is, it's very different mental work. Parenting little kids is all about catastrophe avoidance, right? It's, 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 what's the next crisis? You're you're constantly sort of scanning the horizon. What's, what am I going to head off at the pass here? Are they going to be, how long has it been since they've eaten? Uh, what? You know what's the the baby about to get into that's going to you know <laughs> potentially kill him. Um, you know when, when they start walking, then it's then it's just like I'll a whole different game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So and then you go from that very sort of fast, shallow work, mental work to okay, now I have to sit down and and research and think and do this deep work. Well, if your brain has been in that shallow groove for a while, it can get hard to jump out of that. And I will sit here and I'll be trying to work on the book and I'll be like, I really should put a load of laundry in or Mm -hmm. they're going to have nothing to wear tomorrow. What's for dinner tonight? What, you know, oh, I forgot about, you know, the St. Patrick's Day thing is next week and I have to bring cookies to class. And, you know, all of that sort of stuff can really start to, even, even if like me, um, you know, I'm lucky enough that I have good childcare that, that I can rely on mentally, it just starts to crowd in anyway. so devising a system that can sort of be your offsite brain um, to store that stuff, something trusted that you know a reminder is going to pop up, that you know, um, you know, I do meal planning on the weekends for, okay, what are we going to eat this week? And I, I'll i do a grocery run and I'll put in an order for groceries to be delivered in, in the middle of the week for when we start running out of vegetables or whatever. Um, just learning to front load that stuff. It's a work in progress all the time, I bet. Um, but you know, you, you sort of devise these ways to clear out and protect against all comers blocks of time, um, and and use them to the best of your ability, and not beat yourself up if if it just doesn't happen on a particular day for some reason, which you know is is it's I every at the end of every day I'm like, well, I could have done this better. I could have you know, I, I didn't, you know, I, I spent half an hour on Twitter. I should have done, you know, something else with that time. And <laughs> yeah, even though one. you know that like, you can't run it a hundred percent all the time, it's just not possible. You'll run yourself into the ground. It's, it's hard not to find fault with yourself. So go on easy on yourself if you can.
0: That's something I think it, it's one of the great lies that we're fed that, oh, you know, everyone has, I look at my house. And I'm like, how does everyone keep their house clean? And people are like, we yeah. don't. And yeah. I'm like, Oh, thank God. Like that was one of the most freeing moments in my life was uh, yeah. I was like, I don't, how do I, and, and so many of my friends are like, we have someone who comes like once a week or once every couple of weeks or once a month. And, yep. you know, and, and it helps so much. And, you know, for some people it's very dear, but it really helps them. And, you know, um, yep, so I think you know that every we're just fed this like everybody either has their lives perfectly put together or they have everything's chaos, and we don't have space for the in between in our culture, mm-hmm. like we we're just fed this this myth that you're either falling apart or you're all together and
1: mm-hmm.
0: and wow, am I not all together <laughs> you know?
1: yeah and and even the people who you think are all together, it's they're one crisis away from, it's like this perpetual feeling of, of one crisis away. And it's like every day, something in my life slips. The key is to have it be a different thing every day Mm -hmm. so that, you know, today I'm, what am I ignoring today? What can be ignored today? (laughs) And, you know, tomorrow it'll be something different. Um, you know, but right now I'm, there's a ton of tax info sitting on my desk that I have to get to uh, my accountant be before, you know, April. But the the thing that's pressing much more right now is that there's a scene in my head that I feel like I have to write before it gets away from me. Mm-hmm. And so the tax stuff is going to wait. And But tax stuff can't wait too long. At some point, I'm going to have to collate it all and send it over. Right. And then it'll be the book that, you know, gets put on the back burner for a day or whatever. So, yeah, it's the it's constant balancing act and, and getting comfortable with that feeling of perpetually being on the edge of, of disaster is not easy to do, mm-hmm. but it's doable. And I sound so cheery. <laughs> <laughs> and on that
0: note. <laughs> yes, on that note.
1: <laughs> oh boy. No,
0: I think it's good. I I don't know. For me, it, it's really freeing. It's just like, um, when I was diagnosed with ADD. It was like it all makes sense now. Like it was amazing. Yeah. And it kinda it 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 feels the same way to talk about things like this because it's just like I don't have it all together. I feel like 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 I'm barely hanging on and I have so many things I've committed to and so many things I want to do and blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. And to hear people like people are like, Yeah, me too. It's okay. Like I think that's really freeing. So I don't know.
1: yeah no it is it's this feeling it's simultaneously freeing but and and we always want that magic bullet right and it's it's like a disappointment and a relief to know that that magic bullet does not exist i'm just glad Um, i'm in good company yeah oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) absolutely so helene where can people find you and your book online uh, people can find me at um There are links on my website to buy the book from various online booksellers, but also please do support your local independent bookstore. We love them, they are wonderful. Um, and you can find me at Helene wecker on Twitter. I'm not as much of a tw- Twitter presence as I used to be, um, but I do respond to ats. Um, and also, let's see, I have a Tumblr that I need to resurrect. I have... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm simultaneously like pulling back on social media because I, I, I need to, you know, be more focused on the book, but also feeling like I really want to have some sort of outward facing presence. Cause otherwise it's just me and the cat Yes, and, and, uh, that gets really lonely. <laughs> so, so I'm hopefully in, in the not too distant future, I will have some sort of newsletter or more active Tumblr or blog or whatever. Um, and in which case, um he will see me sort of trumpeting it all over the interwebs.
0: As you try to strike that
1: balance. Yes, exactly. Yet another balance to (laughs) strike.
0: Well, you can find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to relay.fm LTOE. And there's a link to a contact form there. If you have a few minutes, it'd be wonderful. If you would leave a review or a star rating on iTunes or tweet about the show or post on Facebook, just let people know. Um, but posting on iTunes really helps people know that it's a show worth listening to. Thanks for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.